Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Modern Retail Podcast. I am Kale Guthrie Weissman, the editor-in-chief of Modern Retail. And this week, I'm really excited. We have Roger Rollins, the CEO of Designer Brands, Inc., which is the parent company of such known brands as DSW and a slew of others. And I'm excited to talk about, well, footwear for one, because I think footwear is such an interesting space, but just also what's been going in the overall sort of like bigger retail space in general. But Roger, thank you so much for joining me. I'm really excited you're here. Thanks, Kale. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So first, I always like to ask people, you're the CEO of Designer Brands. How did you get there? What's been, what was your journey to to get to the top? You know, Kale, my journey was a a bit unique in that I was a finance guy for about the first uh, 20-ish years of my career and uh, actually joined DSW as the controller right after we went public 15 years ago. And then about uh, 12 years ago, our uh, CEO, then Mike McDonald, uh, offered me the opportunity to go run our dot-com business, which was sort of unheard of for a, you know, an accounting nerd to get a chance to go run an e-commerce place. So it was, uh, that was really a big change for me in my career and the direction of my career. And from there, it's, uh, it's led to this, which is now almost six years, which time flies. Wow. Um, I want to get into all that because I was doing some research and I saw that your title was head of Omnichannel back then. Is that correct? Yeah. 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 So when you were the controller, did you suddenly become more interested in the retail business? What made you decide that you wanted to go that direction or was it just sort of how things landed? You know, believe it or not, back then we were trying to make a decision, should we have a website or not? And it was actually at the time a play to say, should we uh, grow this thing? Is it something we should try and sell? Or or should we even be in the digital business at all? Which is crazy to think about that now, um, you know, 12 years later. But uh, it, it really was an assignment to try and answer that question. And it was in no, no short order. It was very clear that there was a huge opportunity here if we just listened to our customer. So what Thinking back 12 years ago, and I I, rec- um, I I talked with someone about this a few a few months ago, and I always loved the, just learning more about this. But what was your strategy when you were assigned head of Omnichannel, like dealing with the dot com? Because it's just so different now. So what were you like the first three things you had to do? Well, the first thing, and I, I use this story a lot, was we had to make Rudolph be the head of the sleigh <laughs> because uh, the 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 dot com team was one that frankly was struggling to to grasp what it is they could do and how they could add value. And once you were able to see exactly what what they could do, I always remember in Rudolph, there was the land of misfit toys. And that's what Rudolph, that was the island Rudolph was on. Like our job was to say, let's let's embrace this in a way that we put Rudolph at the head of the sleigh. And when we did that and we essentially eliminated, this is again, 12 years ago, we eliminated the dot-com team and we became one team. And our job as the digital team was really to find ways to engage our consumer. And, you know, I'm really proud of the work we did because we became one company rather than a stores business and a dot-com business. So, you know, that was the first big thing. The second big thing was to have consistency in the assortment. Uh, we were trying to sell things online that we didn't have in stores and vice versa. So, again, sort of listening to the customer, aligning the organization around what, what the customer was telling us led us to where we are. And I'm, I'm real proud of the fact that the last three years, we've been recognized as the number one omni-channel retailer uh, for each of the last three years, publicly traded uh, omni-channel retailer. And when I think about who is in that space, I mean, that's that's pretty cool to be to be leading that charge. And it's all because of, you know, 12 years ago, we took a different approach to how we were running our business. 
So operationally, 12 years ago, what did that look like? Did you have warehouses where we're using your stores for assortment? Like, like what, what did you have to build out? And then how did that evolve over time? Yeah, the, the, uh, the cool thing back then was we were trying to figure out, we have this thing called Designer Shoe Warehouse. It has warehouse in the title. It has all of this inventory. And, you know, we could go invest in a lot of large distribution centers across the country. But the reality is we, at that time, we had a couple hundred uh, physical locations that were being underutilized. And we said, how could we leverage those locations in a way that would allow us to offer our customer a product or a delivery that would be faster than others? And uh, that, that's the approach we took. And, you know, to this day, I mean, during first quarter, uh, it was roughly 60, 70% of all of our digital demand was fulfilled from what we call a customer facing warehouse. And, uh, you know, that's a huge competitive advantage for us now with we have 525 locations in the U.S. that are within 20 minutes of 70 percent of the U.S. population. And so if you have consistency, consistency in your assortment and you leverage those tools, it's an experience you can create that others cannot compete with. Absolutely. And I so a lot of the retailers I talk with today are going that route. It's very popular where, you know, you you have a footprint. Why not use that? And there's an issue with training um, employees about sort of doing those omni-channel uh, exigencies. Back then, 12 years ago, how did you speak with the staff about that? How did that go about? Because I imagine that was something that wasn't even on their radar. Like, oh, I have to pick up these items from the store and then package them and sell them. Was that, was that a, a new thing you were dealing with? You know, the, absolutely. And uh, I remember the conversations we had about how do we reward the behavior to encourage our store associates to do this. So one of the first things we did was we got out of the game of talking about a store sale versus a digital sale. And we gave stores credit for all of the dot-com demand they fulfilled. We gave them credit for all the things that they would demand in their physical store through a digital device for a customer that might be fulfilled elsewhere so that we put all of that in there to give them credit so they f- they could see the benefit of engaging in an omni-channel way and and you know what what gets measured gets uh, gets done and as we started setting targets and and rewarding for the behavior uh, it took us a, a couple of years to really make big progress but but now especially during a pandemic when you have to shut all of your stores to see those store associates posting on LinkedIn and Instagram and Facebook how much volume they were driving by just fulfilling that digital demand, it, it really did save our fannies as an organization. Wow, I imagine. Um, I want to get into everything that happened in 2020 because I'm sure that was a whirlwind for you um, as a leader. But let's just keeping in the past just a little bit longer. You brought the dot-com business up about 12 years ago. And then about, did you say, you know, a few years later, you became CEO. What was sort of your mandate when you when you started that? Was that just sort of integrating it even more? How did you sort of approach? Were there big systemic changes you brought to the organization? Uh, there were three words we have been using. Uh, we actually have a meeting after these three words every Monday called Focus Tempo Disruption, FTD. And I think what we were trying to do was, you know, we were in the middle of a major transition in that, you know, Amazon became a, a player in the footwear space in a more meaningful way. Brands were going direct to consumers in a more meaningful way. And we needed to get the organization to be much more focused, um, play with the level of tempo that was perhaps faster than the one that we had been playing. And um, then we had to go try some disruptive things. And, you know, frankly, those are things that led to the acquisition of Camuto. It led to the acquisition of shoe company up in Canada. 
um, led to some of the things we've done around customer experiences with our rewards program. And uh, those were the three. And to this day, that's still sort of a mantra that we that we use throughout the business. Thinking about Amazon and all those other digital uh, competitors, brands, et cetera, was a lot of that just a question of digital marketing as, you know, and making sure that you were sort of in front of shoppers, you know, when they were looking for shoes, was that sort of a big process for you or sort of how did you approach all those other aspects to keep, you know, DSW and all the other brands in their minds? You know, the, the big thing for us was leveraging the rewards program. So what's unique about our company, and I always talk about how innovative this organization is. We were the first folks to do open cell footwear, meaning, you know, you can walk up and down the aisles and see everything we have with the sizes. We were the first, I think, probably to launch a loyalty program. And over 90% of our sales today is through that loyalty program. So what we really tried to do is to lean in in a bigger way into that loyalty program and add more benefits, uh, more reasons for a consumer to come to us by leveraging that program. And that's where we have focused a lot of our attention. So how does the loyalty program work? Uh, We reward you for behavior. (laughs) So the more you spend, the more you get, (laughs) to be honest. it's. But what's so amazing about it is we have found that once we connect with you and we get you in this program, our retention rate is amazing because we get we give you things to continue that engagement, whether that be birthday certificates or things that we do to give you special promotions that others do not get, free shipping when you order online, things that we've continued to layer in. Uh, we, we reward you for a donation of shoes, uh, which you know no other company that I'm aware of does that. So you bring in a used pair of shoes, we'll give you points toward a future purchase. It's things like that that our marketing team has done an amazing job of continuing to evolve that program. Do you find that more people sign up for the loyalty program in store than online? I imagine that if I'm, you know, sort of have a captured audience of a salesperson and they say, do you want to join? I'll be like, sure. But if it's a, a pop up, maybe I'm less inclined. Is that is that something that you've seen or, or how does that work out? No, you're absolutely spot on uh, when you're at the register and you have somebody that can pitch you the reasons why you should join. Um, and then also remind you, if you are a member, that go ahead and log in and do you have points and is there a certificate there and, and other offers that might be available to you. Uh, but I do think one of the things that we're doing to try and evolve the business is, you know, I will tell I'm a store guy by trade, even though I ran dot com. I spent <laughs> 20 years as a as a store retail person before I got into that role and adding talent to our organization that is more digitally focused and adding a chief digital officer, which we've done in the last year, someone who brings a different lens to our organization. Uh, I'm really anticipating that we will see things sort of equal out between stores and digital because we're, we're approaching it now from both lenses rather than just, frankly, from someone like myself who's historically been a store guy. Pre-pandemic, what was the makeup of, of e-com to store sales? You know, like I said, we, we really don't separate. Okay. So this is the... I, and, and I'm not trying to, you know, not answer that question. <laughs> and we, we get asked this all the time by the street, but this is the best way to get your head around it. 90% of the time, a transaction for us starts on a device because they're pre-shopping, they're getting an email, whatever it might be, or they're searching on someone else's website. And that then leads to a transaction in the store. So how do you credit who gets what? And then when 60, 70% of that digital demand ends up being fulfilled by a store, how do you record that? So the 90% is the first piece. What I will tell you of people who then click a button when they're on that device, 
it's about a billion dollars of sales that that happened by somebody clicking. Um, but then in my head of the three billion, there's roughly 2.7 billion that in some way, shape or form was influenced by that device. Wow. And so you, you said in the last year you brought on a chief digital officer. Was it specifically the pandemic that brought you over that hump? Like we need to add these capabilities or sort of walk me through what made that be a, a priority? I think um, probably as the CEO, the recognition that the approach we were taking was still very dated and that it was more of a store lens rather than a consumer lens. And, uh, you know, we did amazing things to evolve from store.com business into looking at the customer years ago, but we really hadn't added talent in our organization in a meaningful way that did not have a history of being a store person. And so by bringing in some folks, and we've added in the last year, several leaders in our organization that come more from a digital background and the learnings we're getting from that are, you know, amazing. Uh, and then you add into the mix the fact that we, as you had mentioned uh, earlier, you know, we have other brands. We have Vince Camuto that, that we own and operate. And we have Lucky. We have Jessica Simpson. We need to find ways to evolve those brands to be beyond something that we wholesale. And how do we bring those brands to life in a different, unique way online? And so going and getting digital talent that can help us evolve the brand experience is something that we recognize that we had to have. Does the DSW digital strategy live in a completely different bucket than all the other brands? Because it seems like, you know, everything has its own cadence, its own rhythm, its own audience. And DSW strikes me as just a very big, big retail um, organization. And these other ones are also big, but probably operate differently. So do you have different teams for them? How do you structure all of that when you're dealing with so many different sort of touch points, customers, et cetera? Yeah, and the, the the really cool thing of what we've done is leverage the infrastructure of DSW. So the one thing that I'm very proud of is that at DSW, we have a platform that is supporting a billion-dollar digital business. And there's an infrastructure there that can be leveraged. So what we've done is we've popped up teams in Canada that are focused on how do we evolve the experience for the, the consumer in Canada, but yet they're leveraging the infrastructure of DSW. So you have sort of this fixed overhead related to managing your site. Same with Vince Camuto. We've we've brought on someone to oversee VinceCamuto.com, but we've got them on what was historically the DSW platform. And as you can imagine, um, there's a lot of investment we've made in that over the years. And so to be able to leverage that for those brands, that's a huge win for us. Same as we're evolving the Jennifer Lopez brand. You know, we're going to be doing some cool things this, uh, this fall uh, digitally for Jennifer and, and her team. And we're able to do that because we have this huge platform uh, called DSW.com. We'll be right back after this message from our sponsor. Please stay with us. So let's let's talk about the pandemic. So I imagine that meant that store sale or like, you know, you, you say to differentiate, but foot traffic went kaput at the very least. So walk me through what you experienced and then sort of how you responded and what changed immediately. Yeah, the, you know, that... That whole that whole last year is something that you, you pray you never have to deal with again. Um, but, you know, what we really did was we tried to focus on two things, the health and safety of our associates and the health and safety of our long, long-term health and safety of our business. And so, you know, we, we took actions closing our stores ahead of just about everyone else in retail because those were the two priorities we put in place. So I remember uh, Jim Weinberg, our, our head merchant, uh, we were here on a Friday. I told everybody we were going to shut the stores down. He said, I'll see you in two weeks. 
And uh, <laughs> that turned into like 12 months later. But, uh, you know, the big thing for us was because we had the digital platform and we had the ability to fulfill from stores, we still stayed in business, even though we shut all of our stores down. And uh, it was enough to keep us moving. And we leveraged that window to liquidate inventory that we knew had a end of life. Because in March, when you shut down your stores, and that's the peak of your sandal business, we had more sandals than we were ever going to be able to deal with. So we leveraged our digital platform to promote and and liquidate and, and frankly, take our hits that we needed to take to make those goods go away before we we knew we'd come out of this. But we thought it would be probably more in the summertime, after the summertime. And we didn't want to have a ton of inventory that would carry into the fall season. So we took a lot of aggressive markdowns and actions. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. But w- did you find yourself doing other adjustments to sort of highly promote, probably not markdowns, but other things that went into style that likely you're, I mean, I imagine, you know, nice, nice footwear, you know, not necessarily loafers, you know, but like expensive leather shoes probably didn't do as well, but maybe Uggs have been doing really well or, you know, people in slippers. So how did you sort of adjust those levers so that you were speaking more to the new type of pandemic consumer? You know, one of the biggest um, things for us during this pandemic was something that we had initiated about six months before it hit, and that was a shift toward athleisure. Uh, Because as an organization, we had recognized that we were so underpenetrated in that space and relied so much on seasonal and fashion that, you know, the industry at that time, roughly about 50% of all sales were athleisure in nature, and that was 30% or less at DSW. So, our whole initiative going in, you know, before the pandemic started was to get after athleisure. And thank goodness we had, because what we had was not just the sandals we needed to liquidate, but we had invested in categories that the consumer was demanding of every retailer. I need a slipper. I need a sneaker. I need something comfortable. I can walk around my home and I always describe it as the mailbox shoe. I can <laughs> stand in my home or I could walk out to the mailbox in it. And you know, thank goodness our organization had pivoted again about six months before this hit to chase after that business. So we were in stock in things that the consumer was demanding, as well as the product that we knew we needed to liquidate. Wow. Did you have to change anything operationally? It sounds like from the fulfillment side, not really given that you do a lot of in-store fulfillment, but were there any big sort of investments or shifts you had to make as a result? You know, the biggest shift and uh, biggest challenge we face we faced was, I remember in, uh, it was like April-ish, uh, May time period, we furloughed 85% of our workforce. And that was frankly the biggest shift. We went for, uh, gosh, probably four months operating with basically very little <laughs> from a home office standpoint, simply because we knew we weren't buying shoes. We were really just trying to manage what was there until we could get our arms around how long this thing was going to last that was by far the biggest and most disruptive thing that we had to deal with. And, uh, you know, we made it through. We were able to bring folks back. And, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm, again, really proud of how we made it through. And uh, as we got through first quarter to make money again, after you go through what you did over a 12-month period was is really rewarding. Yeah, I saw that. Congrats on hitting the profit. That's, that's huge. Uh, yeah. I can imagine that felt great. Yes, thank you. Um, but so let's talk about now what are what is, you know, at the start of this year and then going through the summer, what have been your goals? It seems that a lot of the people that I talk with, you know, 2020 was reactive mode. And now it's a lot about 
learning the lessons that you learned from the last year, but also doing a more long-term plan with it. How does that translate into designer brands and what your and what your vision is? Yeah. So the big the big things that we're working on it revolves around sort of three pillars, like what I had said, FTD. So I'll give you the the three new letters that we're using: CBS. So. I always, uh, it's easy to remember a TV network, right? At least for me as an old guy. Uh, but you know, that, that customer is the C piece of this. And so things we're going to be doing to evolve the customer experience, things we've learned through this pandemic of how the consumer is behaving differently. Uh, the fact that they are demanding more athleisure goods. And we don't think that's going to shift back in a huge way from, from where it was and seeing how much opportunity we have in market share. Um, the consumer is demanding brands at, at levels they've never demanded before. So we shifted our assortment to lean into the top 50 brands. Uh, historically, we've carried seven, 800 brands at a time. We now have our top 50 account for about 80% of our sales. So by narrowing the assortment, being able to go deeper gives us the opportunity to do different things for our customer. Um, that B is about brands. We have to build brands. Uh, if you look at over the last seven or eight years, the folks that have gained market share, yes, it's DBI through uh, growing store footprints by acquiring uh, assets. It's a lot of the athletic players who, because consumers are demanding athletic, they're getting uh, market share. It's it's your Amazon of the world. But the biggest growth has actually come from the brands themselves going direct to consumer. So we have to build brands. It's why we have Vince Camuto. It's why we have Jessica Simpson, why we have Lucky, why we have JLo. And it's why we acquired Camuto so that we could go design and source product that would be available exclusively at a DSW. And you're going to see us continue to lean into that in a, in a much bigger way. So, you know, that's the brand side. And then the S stands for speed. So when you have this entire retail format that you know, has all these omni capabilities and you have the ability to design and source your own footwear, we should be moving faster than anyone. We should be able to test, read, react. Uh, Steve and, and the Madden team have done an amazing job in their organization of doing this. Love them to death. We need to be equal or better to what they do. And we have the plat. We have a platform. We've now got to put all the analytics in place, put the process in place to leverage that retail platform to connect with what we could do through designing and sourcing our own goods. Well, there's so much to dig in there. I want to talk about the B part because uh, <laughs> yeah. I find that super fascinating. It makes a lot of sense. But we're seeing a lot of the major brands now. They're they're going direct to consumer, and a lot of them are. Uh, or not a lot, but some of the major ones are uh, relying less on wholesale relationships, which I imagine d d is that d does that keep you up at night if you if you're unable to sell Nike or something like that? Or how how are you how are you responding to that? Is that just building your own brands to offset that? It is. It's a combination of things. One, it's it's building a platform for those brands as a retailer that they cannot duplicate themselves. So I'll give you an example. If if you're a great brand and you have a huge digital business that you've been growing, and you do not have 525 stores within 20 minutes of 70% of the population, wouldn't it be great to give your consumer the opportunity to return their digital orders to a DSW? And for DSW to accept that return. And then for you as the brand, for us to be able to facilitate getting that back into the hands of one of your consumers. That's an example of things we're doing. Being able to do delivery in a way that I talk about Domino's pizza a lot. Like <laughs> I remember growing up 20 minutes or less. I just, that was always stuck in my head. And we need to be the Domino's pizza of shoe delivery. 
being as close as we are to the consumer, having access to all these brands, for these top 50 brands, I want to be able to get something to your doorstep in a couple of hours or less. And when we show up with our product, I don't want to leave it on the doorstep. I'd like to be able to offer you the 10, the 10 and a half and the 11 and see which one of those work for you. And also take whatever return you might have, take whatever donation you might have. And oh, by the way, I'd like to upsell you on if you've bought an Adidas shoe, I'd like to upsell you on the Adidas handbag or whatever accessory we have from Adidas. Those are ways in which we, as I think as a retailer of brands, we have to build experiences that those those brands demand um, from us to ensure that we retain that relationship. So going off that example, do you currently own the own your own logistics process so that you can offer that experience? Uh, we are working through that now. And uh, <laughs> that is the benefit of having all these stores and associates that are uh, empowered and engaged in our brand. So how can we leverage our associates uh, to be able to to deliver an experience like that? And, and we're getting after that. Absolutely. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit about sort of cycles, because I feel like you're a, co- you're a retailer, you're a company that feels the sales cycles very much, uh, probably more so than some individual brands do. Uh, 2020 was a year where the cycles either didn't exist or they were extended or they were just, they were just weird. So do you think, you know, with back to school pretty much here or at least on the horizon, holidays not too far away, which is weird to say, you know, in July, August, but anyway, do you think that cycles like that have been altered forever or are they going to return to what they were to 2019? I think for us, um, I have to share a little bit of our history to get your your head around why my answer to this. So we have we have 18 weeks that are huge parts of our business, and they're not comparable to what other retailers see. So Marple, March and April, that's nine weeks in the middle of spring. That's huge for us because that first day the weather is 70 and sunny. People want to go buy their sandals. And so, you know, that window has always historically mattered, as well as September the nine weeks of September, October. And that's first time that, man, that first frost, if you're in the Midwest, everybody, I got to go get my boot. And those are areas where we have dominated. Our opportunity now is to look at things like what you'd said back to school. We now have kids shoes. They're going to account for anywhere from eight to 10% of our business. We have athletic footwear that we've never had before from all the big national brands. That's a product we never could have uh, really delivered on in a back-to-school period in the past. There's a holiday window related to those kind of categories, too. So for us, we see that we'll continue to dominate in those cycles that are our historical cycles. But for us, getting back to school and playing in that space for us, given that we already have mom and dad shopping us, that's a huge opportunity for us that we're leaning into. But I think holiday and all of those things, I think what's changed forever is the digital mindset, which, you know, the position we're in to be able to fulfill those digital demands from a store, um, I think, again, can help set us apart. We're almost running out of time, but I have one more question. Um, and it's going back to that B, because I found that just your overall brand strategy super fascinating. But going forward, what is the brand strategy? Do you have uh, what areas do you want to go into that you think you can excel at by by building your own brands or acquiring your own brands? What's sort of the plan going forward in the next year or a few years? Yeah, I think for us, our mission is to inspire self-expression. So it's not about selling shoes. It's about creating an environment where the consumer can express themselves. And for us, footwear is a magical thing because you can be whomever you want to be based on the shoes you put on your feet. You know, tonight I'm going to think I'm a NBA player when I wear my, my high tops. So um, 
that is the, the mindset we're trying to bring to life. So how we go acquire, build, or participate with brands that can embrace that and create different experiences for consumers through the footwear and the services we can provide, those are the things we're going to be doing to, to grow our brands. Absolutely. All right, Roger, this has been such a great conversation. I really appreciate you taking the time. No, thank you. Have a great day. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Modern Retail Podcast, a show by Digiday. If you haven't already, please do subscribe and head to Apple Podcasts to leave us a review and a rating. See you next week. Thank you.